Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Josh Peck, host of Peck Report on Daily Renegade. I used to suffer with chronic pain from a degenerative bone disease. I was hopelessly addicted to opioids without any end in sight. But then I discovered Kratom and CBD. I am no longer on prescription drugs and I have more energy and pain relief than ever before. Kratom and CBD have given me my life back without draining my bank account. If you too would like some minor to major pain relief, Kratom and CBD might be for you. Either click on the links in the description below this video or go to dailyrenegade.com on the top left banner or right side ad and check out Tropic Health Kratom and CBD. Use promo code HEALTH20 for 20% off your order and get your life back today. Well, we had a phenomenal interview with a uh, extremely important person about a very important topic and we're going to have to get to that and much more on today's Peck Report. everybody hope you are doing well well like i mentioned before on earlier episodes of peck report um i do have quite a few pre-interviews uh with guests that appeared in the film silent cry that i wrote edited uh and directed uh now it's it's about the the satanic and occult connections with child sex trafficking uh so really important topic uh, but I have a number of pre-interviews. So these are not interviews that made it into the film. These are not interviews that when you when you get the film that you'll see these exact interviews in there. Th- these are pre-interviews, meaning I interviewed these people um, trying to see what types of things they would say so I could build the film around it. And I have a number of these that I want to release. Uh, so I've already released a couple of them. Um, and... Today, I want to show you my pre-interview with Alonka Deaton. Now, Alonka uh, really shaped the whole film. If, if I, I, I don't know at the time of this release if you've uh, been able to watch Silent Cry or not. Um, if not, go to skywatchtv.com and you'll be able to find it there, or skywatchtvstore.com. You'll at least find information on when it's going to be available if it's not yet. But Alanka's story uh, really shaped this whole thing. She was sex trafficked herself as a child. 
and her brother Yako Buyans uh, was able to help her rescue her from that. And now they both work to um, you know educate people on child sex trafficking. Uh, now everybody in the film is Christian, and they all have a Christian worldview, meaning they understand the dark occultic sides of these things. So, uh, without further ado, I want to show you um, uh, at least the first part of, and then we'll do the rest for members only. But uh, here, here's the first part of Alanka Deaton's uh, pre-interview. Check this out. First question: uh, Where did you grow up, and what was the overall culture like? I grew up in a suburb just outside Johannesburg, South Africa, and uh, wow, South Africa, what a gorgeous, beautiful, complicated, interesting place. Uh, the era that I grew up in, I was born in 82, so from 82 till about 1994, as, as you might be well aware, was the big push to end apartheid mm -hmm. in South Africa, so I, I saw that firsthand, how that really impacted the nation and how that impacted families and just what that looked like on, on a firsthand basis. So the culture was, it wasn't violent at that point, although it became very violent. Um, it There was a lot of unrest, emotional unrest to see where we, we were going to go as a nation, as a people group and what that was going to look like. So a lot of my childhood and the culture had that in it. Um, where South Africa going to go without apartheid and what would that look like? And um, how do we bridge the gap and not be a racist country? Or um, for those that weren't racist, I was raised with a mom that wasn't like that at all. So how, how do you bridge that gap? And, and how do you get women to have the right to vote? You know, and even Caucasian women, how do we get them to have the right to vote and to be more participating in society? So it was um, a very political climate that, that I was raised in and the culture at that time. But then apart from that, it was just beautiful Africa landscapes and the animals and the big five and safaris and, you know, running barefoot to school. So <laughs> all the that's great. Uh, so before the age of 12, what, what was your upbringing and childhood uh, like in South Africa? Sure. I was um, I was born into a family with mom and dad. And my dad was a pilot in the Air Force. And due to some of the things that he underwent in the military, which is tied to apartheid as well, um, dad suffered a lot of PTSD and became an absent parent. I was maybe 13 months old. And then him and my mom went through divorce. And my mom became a single parent with three kids. Um, up until age 12, it was it was hard. Uh, hard and fun in the sense of I, I got to have the opportunity to be a child, to have the innocence of being a child and playing with my brother. So I was the baby of the family. And But I also saw, saw how hard it was for my mom being a single parent. She had to work a lot. Um, my eldest brother, Yaku, had to step into that father role a lot. Because our dad was just, you know, gone for years at a time. Um, I loved singing and, and doing athletics. And mom really focused on having us engaged in activities to keep us out of trouble, you know. But also because she knew that we didn't have that extra parent who could fill that gap, you know, for us. And um, she is the can-do voice in my head uh, that always was very encouraging for us to strive for more, not to let the fact that we didn't have a dad in our life define us, but it did create a lot of brokenness for me and my siblings. And each one of us have had to deal with it a different way, but there was certainly a lot of abandonment issues that would arise, you know, from that time. 
that underlying emotional trauma and stress from not having that parent there, the absence of him, and how, how that affected the other siblings. Like, for instance, Yaku needed to be a dad to me when that was ne- never really his job. You know, he was supposed to be just a sibling. Um, so I have a lot of respect for my brother. I've had to see how he's had to undo those kind of things. But he really was just that, you know, in, in my early childhood life. But we also had a lot of fun. You know, we 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 um, uh, horsed around and, you know, played cricket and rugby. And we had a pool and we had fruit trees in the backyard and would climb it and throw each other with peaches and you know, <laughs> all of those kind of things. So I did have a good childhood um, up until that time. Uh, but also some hard emotional things just from the brokenness of our family unit. Mm. Uh, at the age of 12, you won a singing competition. Can you tell us what led you into singing and what winning that competition meant to you at the time? Sure. So uh, my mom moved us into a new neighborhood, which was closer to my grandparents. Um, our gra- grandparents were very involved in um, helping my mom, mother take us to school and back or watch us after school. And we loved our grandparents. They were like a, a, a second set of parents to us, especially my granddad. And um, my mom moved us close to, to, to a neighborhood to be closer to them. And I met a friend in the neighborhood who uh, whose mom was dating, dating a man who was in the music industry. And um, at first, I didn't know this. We were we were in her room. You know, it was the era of where you have tapes and you wait for your song to come on. You call the radio station. You go, please play this Def Leppard song. And and then they play the Def Leppard song, and you are writing all the lyrics down to learn it, and you're waiting it, and you're recording it. It was that era. So we were doing that when he um, when this her soon to be stepdad uh, walked into her room and started engaging in a conversation with us about singing, and he was really. Um, uh, fl- flirtatious in his approach about my singing voice, just very complimentary and that he's in the music industry and that they have this competition coming up and I should take part in it. So gave me a flyer and I took it home, gave it to my mom, begged her to go, uh, saw that friend and and her soon-to-be stepdad several times, you know, throughout that process because she became a neighborhood friend. And um, I ended up, my mom ended up agreeing taking the whole family went to the competition i went through all the rounds and then you know of course ended up ended up winning it um which was pretty awesome i thought it was great i sang whitney houston's the greatest love of all but let me just tell you i don't sound like whitney houston (laughs) (laughs) i have a good voice but i'm not whitney so uh great um now after that uh you you met your music manager um before before all the ugliness, before the attack happened, um, what what did you think of him? Well, he was actually this girl soon to be stepdad. Mm. He is the one who kind of introduced me into this. He was part of a group of um, entertainment uh, companies who were putting on this um, this competition and this event, which which you what, what you would win is you would get a recording contract and you would get to make your first album and you know you would your career would start, you know. What I didn't realize, though, is that me winning the competition, although I, I have a fairly good singing voice, um, I think that he saw the brokenness in our family, just getting to know me through his daughter, through his soon-to-be stepdaughter, and um, really was someone that was very sick and um, who used a lot of girls, you know, for his own, you know, sexual gain, and uh, really handpicked me, you know, for that. Mm-hmm. And um, so he was the he ended up. Becoming my music manager. 
-hmm. uh, can you tell us um, about the attack, what led up to it, and uh, how, how it all played out? Sure. So uh, my um, for the f after I won the competition, so I'll just give you a timeline. So I'm 12 years old. I just turned 12. I win this competition. Um, the first year after that, things were wonderful. Um, he taught me a lot about music. He was just a typical music manager. We teach you, bring in people to work with you, performance coaches, you know, hairstylists, makeup artists, you know, introduce you to producers and picking songs and all the typical normal things in the music industry, which I learned so much. I learned a lot from him because he had a lot of knowledge about the music industry and just about music content, period. A lot about booking and um, how you do it, how do you work with um, other professionals in the industry and musicians and all of that. So the first year was a dream come true for me, absolutely. Um, but during that first year, he ended up not marrying that girl's mom and then attaching himself to my mom. Mm. So, which is very interesting because this is what a lot of predators do. I thought that he had interested my mom, like he, that he wanted to, you know, romantically date my mom, although they never did. But in his approach, he was like that with my mom, you know, being very complimentary and, and, and to me as well, and to my brothers and showing interest. He had two daughters who became friends of mine that first year. He would bring them over for play dates and we would meet them at the park. I mean, he just really became ingrained in our family life. And um, my mom learned that she could trust him, that she could trust him. It's been a year, you know, everything was going fine. And However, my mom would still be the one to chaperone me and take me to all the rehearsals, all the recordings and would be with me, you know, scheduling it around her schedule. Um, so about a year, not to date a year, but almost about a year before my 13th birthday, uh, we had a rehearsal coming up and my mom couldn't take me that day. But there was a scheduling problem to where it had to be that day and it just had to happen. Now I know that it didn't have to be that day. It was really planned from him. My mom couldn't take me and he just offered to come and pick me up and to take me to the rehearsal space and my mom allowed it. And not to her fault that she allowed it, but she trusted him. You know, I trusted him. He picked me up for the rehearsal. We drove to the rehearsal space, which looks like any normal kind of rehearsal venue that you've ever seen. And when we got there, we were the first people there. And um, I'll never forget that when you when you drove into the, the rehearsal space, they had this big um, metal gate that would open. And I can remember the metal gate opening and us driving in and seeing that we were the first cars there. And I even commented on that. And that wasn't odd. And he acknowledged. And we got we got out of the car. But here's something interesting. When we got out of the car, my intuition started flaring up. Even as a 12-year-old little girl, my intuition was telling me that something wasn't right. And I didn't know what it was. But And I don't know if it was that I was sensing that evil had just stepped into the into my presence with him and that he was getting ready to do something. So when we walked into the rehearsal space, he opened the door, you know, being a gentleman, I walked in first, but then when he came in, he locked the door behind him. And that was the seal that I knew something, something bad was about to happen. And I turned around and asked to go home and he said, no. And he was very calm. He said, no, you're not going to go home. There's something special between you and me. And he told me what he was going to do. 
it wasn't like a violent rape scene in, in an alley somewhere. It was very planned out, very methodical. It's when you see when you see when you're in the presence of evil, Josh, and it's calm. It's a whole nother level of scary. It's not aggressive. At first, it is very calm and and collective, and and it attacks you in that way, and it's 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 brutal. Um, he proceeded to just, you know, uh, violently rape me, um, and at first, me fighting and crying and screaming, and you know, trying to get away from it. I mean, and of course, he silenced me by putting his hand over my mouth. And he was a grown man. I mean, just to give you perspective. I think he's somewhere around 73 years old now. I mean, he's a, he's much bigger than I, and, and I was just a child. So when he overpowered me, I became, oh gosh, it, it was one of the most hurtful things emotionally I had ever experienced, but also I couldn't feel my body. Mm. It was my body, dis, my mind disengaged with my body, and I think it's probably the way that the Lord created us to survive, something like that, but, and then I couldn't move. It was it was just an awful experience. And um, however, when when it was done, he um, told me to get up and go clean myself off, and that he was taking me home. Hmm. And that was so confusing to me because I thought, what? This doesn't make sense to me. I, I was expecting I'm going to be kidnapped. I'm going to be, you know, he's going to kill me. I mean, it was so violent. I didn't expect him to say he's going to take me home, right? But what I didn't know was that he was getting ready to threaten my family. Mm-hmm. So he told me that he would kill my mother in front of me, make me watch, and kill my brothers in front of me, and then kill me if I said a word. And if I wanted my mom to stay alive, I would not say one word. This would be our little secret. And if I agreed to be a good girl and do this for him, then I can have a music career. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. Wow. Um <clears throat> After the attack, uh, he held you captive for five years. Uh, what, what led up to that, and what occurred during those during those years? So after the first time that he attacked me, uh, some months went by uh, before he attacked me again, and that was mainly a strategy on his part to break my spirit, to show me that he had power over my career. Um, so he would tell my mom, he would call and tell my mom that. We didn't have a lot of singing dates and that he just really wanted to explain it to me on the phone. Then he would get with me on the phone and say, listen, you know what you need to do if you're ready to be a good girl. You know, you can you can play the game with us. You know, you, you can sing. I have a lot of dates for you. You can make a lot of money. And um, I uh, eventually, under the pressure of not knowing how to explain it to my mom, uh, with having the secret, um, um, agreed to go to another singing event. Um, he proceeded to rape me again. And then it just became a constant, you know, constant thing of you have to lie to your mom to get out of this. So you have to come early. And there are some other girls that I want you to meet. And the other girls that I ended up meeting were girls that were in the same situation as I was. They were child um, stars who were being trafficked um, in a circle of men who were CEOs and owners of big resorts um, and casino companies and financial companies and just, just a lot of sick people, Josh, who, who prey on kids. Um, so I very quickly learned that I wasn't the only one. It wasn't a fast process. That's why it took so long. It was, they're slow and methodical. So they, at first it was just him 
that did this to me. And then within the next year, he would introduce me to another person and then to more kids being in it. So, and then all of a sudden, three years into it now, every time I go to sing at a, you know, a big resort casino, um, there are three other girls there, right? Who's got to join me on stage, but they're actually there for some of the other men, you know, with secret hotel rooms and things like that. So it's, it's slow and methodical. I think that's why it took so long, but, um, the unfortunate thing about it is when when those predators pull you in to a situation like that, the very first thing they do is they break your spirit. They break your spirit to make you feel that you are uh, you're nothing. No one's going to want you. You have no worth or self value. Um, no one's got, going to care, you know, to even date you because of what you've been through. No one's going to believe me because I'm a child. And he's an adult and they're adults. And why would they believe children? Because children lie and they just break your spirit to such a point that you lose, you lose your identity, you know, and it's not, it's not that I did not know who created me. I mean, I was raised in church. I was raised going to in a Dutch reformed church, going to Wednesday night youth camps and, you know, uh, and youth groups. And my mom had us in church. I've always had a fear of Jesus and I've always known who God the father is. But they broke my spirit to such a degree that my worth and value detached that God would ever want anything to do with me because of how damaged I am, you know. And it's just a ploy. And I know now as an adult that that is what they do to break people because then they can, if they can break your spirit, you'll do anything that uh, you will do anything that they want you to do, you know. Uh, When and how were you finally rescued? 17 years old, I was rescued by an undercover cop who was moonlighting as a bouncer security guard at a casino. He had no idea that I was in that situation. He simply came and knocked on my um, dressing room door to come and tell me that the management of the of the, the company I was singing for wanted me to come go on a little bit early. And he walked into me and um, my manager at that time, we'll just call him John, uh, being in um, a physical altercation. He wanted to have... Um, sex with me again before I went on stage and I just gotten so tired of having to do that and then I have to step on stage and sing for four hours I just didn't I thought if he kills me this day I don't I don't care I'm 17 I can you know I'm far away from home I'm hundreds of miles away from home you know I can just disappear you know somewhere else but I'm not going to let him do this today so the cop walked in on that and immediately his instincts as a police officer is to act and he acted immediately and got him away from me although it was just a a violent scene of screaming and yelling and arguing and then the two of them got an altercation and then john who was my manager at that time um broke free and ran out of the um out of the dressing room the cop wanted to make sure i was okay they went after him he fled the premises and i've never seen him since that day Mm, he went in um all of his contracts and things it was canceled. It disappeared. Uh, the the temporarily that kind of ring broke up, you know, because he was the leader of that. And uh, I didn't want to see him. I didn't want to know where they were. I was just thank God that he was out of my life. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I I hope that I hope that was interesting. Now th- there is a lot more that Alanga said, and you you got to hear the rest of the story because it's just phenomenal. Uh, but in order to do so, you'll have to become a member. Go to dailyrenegade.com. You can become a member there. Uh, Don't blame me, blame YouTube, because for years I provided you with all of this uh, information, all these videos for free. Uh, 
Uh, make sure you do that, dailyrenegade.com. All right, if you are viewing for free, thank you so much. Please subscribe. Uh, follow us online. You can follow us on dailyrenegade.com. You can even set up an account for free if you wish. You can do that. Uh, members, hang on the line. Everybody else, thank you so much for watching. And until next time, take care and God bless. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.